Hi, I'm Karis, and this is my podcast, Health Bricks. Health Bricks is about learning and hearing those gold nuggets from inspiring people and what health bricks or those immovable rocks in their life that have helped create wellness. Health Bricks, I know, is going to inspire, empower, and give you practical tools and tips to build excellent health from people who have traveled the journey. Well, Kate Smythe, welcome to the podcast, Health Bricks. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm just so um, appreciative of being able to connect and, and chat with you. I wonder if we can start, just tell us um, where you are currently in life, uh, naturopath, wife, mother, friend, whatever. Um, just tell us where you're at. Sure. I'm a sports naturopath and nutritionist. And I'm also a coach, a running coach. Uh, I am still an athlete, although very much retired on that, on that spectrum, I guess, so to speak. Uh, I'm very much a nature lover. I am a business owner. Um, I practice from several locations as well as online. And uh, I guess in life, I'm, I am a mother, although I'm not raising a child at the moment. And um, I, I love connecting with people about health in general and sharing a really he healthy and positive message, especially to women who are active and people who have gone through similar experiences to what I have in life with their health challenges. Yeah, so we're, I, I will come to those. I want to go back, if we can, just to um, your to early years and mm. just exploring really how you got to um, be so successful with your running and, and looking at what was life like for you in your in your early years. Yeah, sure. I grew up in rural Australia in an area called, um, or outside of Orange, actually, in New South Wales. And I always um, loved being outside. I think um, mum would sort of toss us out in the morning and say, well, make sure you're back before dinner sort of thing. And so it was very much um, playing sport. That was our connection, our social connection in our childhood. If you, you're either in trouble or you played sport and I was very lucky that my parents encouraged me to play sport. I think in a lot of rural areas that um, provides um, the community with, with a positive framework and, and um, network for children uh, and great mentorship in, in rural areas. And so I just played sport, a variety of sports, team sports. I did a little bit of little A's, not, not a great deal. I think um, I was put in the shot put and failed miserably. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't particularly gifted at that point in time at all. That was um, what I, I could do. <laughs> fantastic, that's great. <laughs> So, and I played, you know, hockey as I progressed through school, you know, I played lots of hockey and, and I started to develop a love of running as a teenager. I think I used it as a way to, um, more for mental health, to get a bit of a break um, when, you know, when it was busy with study and, and um, school requirements. Running was my form of meditation to keep me happy, really. And if I was ever unhappy, mum would just say, why don't you just go for a run? You know, oh, right. And uh, my father was also um, uh, a farmer and he needed help with animals. Um, we had sheep. So I was often his um, sheep dog as well. And so I, I was very active, um, you know, in, in a working capacity, just helping the family out as well. 
Um, but it was never to a serious level. I ran locally in Orange. I ran for my local school. We just had a very basic grass oval. And um, so we weren't exposed to a lot of the advanced technologies that sports have now. Mm-hmm. It was very sort of um, basic and it was good, I think. We, we really lived a great, healthy outdoors lifestyle as kids. Do you think it, having that unstructured nature around your sport growing up was helpful? Now, in a way, it's kids are forced to choose from a very young age. You're a runner or you play soccer or you do dancing. Mm. And there's not the same breadth necessarily that you're describing. What, what's, mm. what's your perspective on that? I think, look, I think we can limit children's potential if we put them down a funnel too early because they may actually be um, good at many different things. And I think having um, a taste of lots of different things helped me to work out what I was good at and what I wasn't so good at. Mm -hmm. But also those other skills that I developed from a social perspective, for example, team sports, I may not have otherwise been able to develop them if I'd just solely done running, for example, which is more of an individual sport. You do still compete as a team as such, but it's far more individual in terms of your training, your discipline. Uh, So I think a blend um, is great for kids to just experiment and try and not get too serious too early Mm. with anything. I Mm. think the beneficial later on we often see in this is certainly in my sport in athletics a lot of the junior athletes do not mature into senior olympians because they're burnt out too early right yeah and it's a risk and how how junior like are we talking sort of um the pre-teen no i'm i'm sort of talking that teenager under under 21s okay uh so they rarely what some of them will but there's only a very small percentage of say um representatives of australia that compete at the at the junior representative level that they will then convert into yeah olympians later on that's really interesting Mm. i worked um with a sports cardiologist once who said that to be an elite athlete, you really need to choose your parents wisely. Um, I, I'm not, what's, what's your take on that? I'm not sure of <laughs> the validity of Well, that's interesting. Yeah, do we ever really have a choice? Um, in terms of genetics, um, I, I actually think environment has a much greater play. Right. Much greater play. Yes, genetics is um, going to have some influence, but I guess if I can use my myself as an example I did not have highly competitive sporty parents my father liked to stay active he did a little bit of running when he was younger but he didn't run you know later on um I could certainly say my mother didn't um I do have some history in terms of different sports um that my family have played but I think it's more the culture that I was brought up in and the environmental influences you know um sport was not something you ticked off your list it's something you did for fun and so we wanted to play sport we wanted to stay active um purely as a child because it um it was socially fun and you know we came away feeling like we had something that we could achieve as well really positive reinforcement so you finished school you've gone and done marketing um or nothing 
um, related to what you're doing now. Mm. How did you then end up, um, well, doing more professional running and yeah. through, through to the Olympics? Yeah, sure. It was a bit of a zigzag of a career, wasn't it, when you think about it? <laughs> but I, I was working on Collins Street, um, fairly long hours at that point in time. And the Com Games was coming around um, in the not too distant future. And at that point in time, I was running to and from work uh, every day as training. And um, my running was secondary to my first career um, in the corporate world. And I knew that there was a window of opportunity there. I was mid thirties and I knew that I was coming into the sport reasonably late. Um, and so for me, it was like, well, if I'm, this is my window, if I'm not going to take it, it may not ever be possible. And so I actually approached my employers at the time and said, would it be possible for me to reduce my uh, work hours and maybe step back from this position because I was running a department and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a very demanding job. So it was time, it was really timely for me to do that. And I was very fortunate that we were able to reverse engineer my position and bring on someone who could take my role and I would be um, sort of like a 2IC and help them with their integration into the department, but still um, be able to have, um, I guess a role that was meaningful and challenging for me um, mentally, but I could focus a little bit more on my running. That initially really started as four days a week instead of sometimes it was 50 hours a week I was working there. So that change made a big difference to oh, okay. my recovery. Yeah. And allowed me to do all those extra things, you know, the one percenters we talk about, which in my case I think added up to 20% really when you can get a weekly massage. You can see whatever member of your support team you needed to on a regular basis. It made a huge difference to my ability to adapt and then progress with my training. So I, I went through that process of reducing my hours in the corporate um, environment and shifting them more towards running. And then the Com Games came and I decided that wasn't um, the best experience of my life, but I wanted, I still had very much unfinished business. And I felt again, the, the Olympics were just something I was blinkered and focused to. And they were in a very short period coming around. They were only sort of two years away. And so at that point in time, I decided to step back from that role altogether, the, the, the corporate role, and do a consultancy role so I could go to um, altitude and train more frequently, have a lot more flexibility with my training, but still, um, again, be working. So that was the transition that sort of occurred initially. Then after the Olympics in 2008, I went back into the office in the corporate world and, and went back in four days a week again, just to see whether... I felt that that was, um, you know, I could go back to that kind of a, an environment again. And whilst I had a lovely team and they were incredibly supportive, I really felt like it was a, a soulless environment for me. I'd changed so much over those last couple of years. I'd travelled around the world. I've met some of the most incredible people. And I felt going, it was almost like a step backwards in time. And I'd changed so much that I really needed a new environment as well. 
And that's when I thought, well, what else really lights my fire? What else would really um, make me feel fulfilled at a soulful level? And for me, that was still being involved in my sport. Um, but I've always loved to help other people, um, especially if they have a similar passion for sport like I do. And uh, so then shifting into a healthcare role for me meant I had to go back and study for another four to five years. That sort of sounded, it felt a little bit daunting initially. Um, most definitely it was the third time back at uni. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> it's a hard slog midlife, but um, it was the best thing I ever did. You know, it just, it was such a beautiful synergy to be able to match the two loves of my life in terms of career and then you know, progress into um, doing what I really want to do for the rest of my life, not just what I have to do to pay the bills kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to pull uh, some of that apart with you. So back backtracking a little bit, um, you, you've talked previously about being at the Sydney Olympics where something in you just lit a fire to, and you just said, that's what I want to do. Yeah what where was it like where were other people on that journey with you did they say Kate what are you thinking or was it go for this I think at the time I kept it fairly quiet to be honest okay um, as you as you mentioned I was sitting in the stadium watching the women's marathon come in in Sydney I mean Sydney was the most incredible Olympics it was it was just hair raising it was so exciting being there as a spectator and at the time I was a fun runner. So I had lots of friends who were really enthusiastic about marathon running. And so being in the stadium and, and seeing all the other athletes come in, it was almost like I was psychologically projecting what might be possible for myself unbeknown to my conscious mind. And as Tagahashi came in, she was the winner of the gold, um, gold medal winner that year from Japan. As she crossed the line, the hair literally stood up on the back of my neck. You know, just thinking about it still gives me tingles. And she, she was incredibly gracious. She was not like some of the other events um, or athletes in other events that were very, um, look at me, you know what I mean? You know, there's certain sports where they love lots of attention. She, she presented herself as a sportswoman who was very grateful for the opportunity incredibly gracious and humble and I saw the way that she was so poised and the way that she held herself and I thought ah, that's that's the kind of athlete I would love to be and wow imagine if I could be that person running in to the stadium representing Australia and it was as you described, it was honestly like a bell went off in my head that I hadn't even considered beforehand. And it was like, that's what I'm going to do. That, that's it. Random thought, out of left field, <laughs> that's it. And at the time, I shared it with my partner, who's now my husband. And I think he was, he was like, yeah, sure, honey. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, but as the years progressed and as the journey sort of uh, as we went down that journey, he realised that that's honestly what I was going to do and that um, he provided, you know, he came fully on board in terms of supporting me on that journey. And 
when we qualified for the Olympics, when I ran in Japan, it was honestly like he had run the race and he was just as excited as what I was. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty special to be able to share that whole journey with someone mm -hmm. who was invested, you know, so much in, in the process as well. Yeah. One thing that I find remarkable about your story is just extraordinary mental resilience um, that you've constantly expressed, I think, through through the 06 um, Com Games that didn't go as you had hoped and then you were unwell mm. between the 06 and um, Beijing. Just... Tell us about that, like how do you just mentally, when you're feeling so incredibly unwell, I believe you're in um, Canberra when, when the it... first time, okay. yeah, initially. Okay. Yeah, so I was at an AIS um, altitude training program in their altitude chamber and we were going in there for blocks of time where we would literally live in the chamber and then we would go outside and train and then come back in the chamber. Wow. And um, that, that was designed to see how we'd respond, you know, to, to altitude training. And the first block went quite well and I responded really well. I, I set personal bests after that and high responder. The second time I went in was in, um, was in winter and something wasn't you know really feeling quite right I was fatigued and uh yet my training load hadn't really changed and there wasn't anything that was really apparent you know I didn't have colds and flus or anything and the scientist came to me one morning and said have you have you actually been drinking I'm like I haven't drunk for you know seven years something crazy it was a long time anyway and uh at that point in time my liver function um, was you know my enzymes were through the roof and they said well you're not well we're not quite sure what's going on but you need to you need to go home and um, so I had to leave the program and, and so at that stage you're you're just feeling tired really or yeah at that point in time I was really tired okay yeah, yeah. it was a bit like running under mud <laughs> okay okay you know, it was like oh this is just hard work day in day out yeah yeah, which is not uncommon for a marathoner. Mm. We're, we're often very tired and, until we taper. Yeah. yeah. We're okay. doing mileage, you know, up around 160 to 180 k's a week as, as well as cross training. So you're training twice a day minimum, sometimes three times a day. That's just the life that you live and you do that for many, many years to get to that level. So being tired is part of it a lot of the time. So you yeah. weren't particularly... Um concerned at that stage with how you were feeling until they came to you and said something's not quite right yeah that's right that's right I didn't really have clear indication of what was going on yeah um and and it wasn't until I started to explore those avenues in terms of um seeking support that I realized just how unwell I was mm. yeah and I tried many different avenues. I tried lots of sports medicine um, avenues. Uh, all of my my um, support team were sort of a little bit unsure as to why, you know, um, my, my coach, you know, he was so considered and so um, 
he thought everything through. So it was, it was unusual for him as well to see this happen to me. But I did engage, I did see a naturopath and an integrated GP who ran some additional tests that were perhaps outside of the normal um, protocol. And that's when we discovered that I had a number of conditions going on. I definitely had liver damage at the time that was more to do with inflammation and I had significant levels of inflammation that had then triggered an autoimmune condition. And I was finally diagnosed with celiacs, um, but I was also at that point insulin resistant and I had adrenal dysfunction. I was really unwell, you know, really unwell. And it was a little bit like, um, I remember my, my doctor saying to me, my integrated doctor saying, look, uh, you're an incredibly strong camel, but um, I know that sounds terrible, doesn't call me a camel, but he, he said, you're a really strong camel, but I think there's just one too many straws on this camel's back and you're, you've collapsed. Yeah. So we need to rebuild you um, totally. And so that's what we did. That's the process we went through. And uh, I had to pause my Olympic dream and sort of take a step back and just go, actually, I just want to get well. Mm. Yeah. So this is around 07 or towards the this end? This is, yeah, just after oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was towards okay. the end of that year. Yeah. And I had, um, I only had till April to qualify for the Olympics the following year in 2008. Okay. Yeah. So I had the good portion of 2007 towards the end of 2007 off where I was just, I was literally in bed. I did um, a reset um, protocol where I was literally in to start off the healing process to um, stop all um, stimulus or, um, you know, to calm my nervous system down. So I was in a darkened room for 48 hours to, to try and really um, turn my whole nervous system around. And from that process onwards, then we just started to sleep. I was allowed to walk every now and again. I had to be on a, on a you know, a really nourishing whole foods diet. And uh, slowly over the months, I just got well again and progressed. I needed a lot of support at that point in time, though. So you, you really had to go all in with with the lot diet. I had to throw it all in. I, yeah. I only yeah. had one chance left in my life. Yeah. yeah, one chance left, and I think I always have that philosophy that I I never wanted to die wondering. Yeah, I. I knew that it was within reach. I just had that self-belief that it was within reach. But there were lots of things that kept being thrown at me um, along the way. It wasn't just health challenges. It was objections to my selection. It was people telling me I was crazy. Why on earth would you leave a corporate career for running? Yeah. You know, there, there was lots of um, challenges that I faced. But I would honestly say every single challenge made me feel stronger and possibly helped me to become more resilient because it challenges help you to think of other ways of doing things and those other ways might actually be better ways that suited you better mm. rather than following you know following um a line or towing a line um go back to sheep you know they just follow the leader I always thought, well, maybe that's not right for me. Maybe I need to think outside the square and maybe there's another approach that might suit me better. And I'd honestly say that's where I fell in love with holistic medicine because I could see how, see how they were pulling all the different pieces of health and medicine together to, to allow an athlete 
to really restore and really recover properly um, at, a, at a cellular level. But also at that time, you think of all that training, I was mentally fatigued as well. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I needed a good break. <laughs> During that time, where was your husband's headspace? Was he, Kate, I think you're done or was he this is this is your call like what what was he saying to you that kind of got you through it I think it was hard for him to see me put my life and soul into something and to see it go off the rails so spectacularly yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'd had a really good run until then you know I'd progressed every year I'd just developed more opportunities and I'd started racing internationally and things were going really well uh, so to have such a setback um, was a bit of a surprise for him, but I've got to say he 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 take he can take things in his stride. He was like, oh well, you know, I know that you can still do this, and we'll just take one one day at a time, and um, you know, let's see where you're at at the end of the year. And he was very flexible, also. Um, in terms of holidays and things, because I had to, any leave I had, I was on altitude training camps. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it wasn't like we were travelling the world in fancy hotels. We were, you know, staying in cabins on mountains and running and <laughs> he would often come with me on the bike. So, um, yeah, there was a time when we had booked to actually fly to do a race in Germany during this period towards the end of 2007 that was going to be my first attempt at qualify, qualification. I was hoping that would be it. Okay. But we couldn't get our money back on the flights when I got sick. So we decided to turn it round and make it a get well holiday. Nice. And that's where I really started to feel better again. You know, those afternoon naps, the gentle long walks in the morning. We had no distractions. Both of us, you know, had no distractions. It was all about just having a really healthy lifestyle and routine and we could live in a bit of a bubble for a couple of a couple of weeks without anything else that mattered yeah made a huge difference mm. wow so Kate we've gone from um bed rest to uh just being able to move very gently to walking and then qualifying and heading to Beijing tell us about that how was that for you so the progress was fairly slow, but um, once I started to feel, things started to kick in pretty quickly. And I had a, um, I was at the end of the qualifying period. So we, we get in months in marathons and you can have several attempts um, to get a qualifying time. And then from that, typically three of the fastest women would be selected to represent Australia. And I was the very end of that qualifying period I knew it was April was the cutoff for the Olympics that year so I had one shot left one shot left um, and I decided to go to Japan to do the race in Kano and it was a very low race and uh, I thought it would suit me for many many reasons because you don't have a lot of I didn't have to go to Europe it was close and I think the appeal was also there was a good feel but it wasn't huge it wasn't like I don't know New York so I picked that one that ended up being the best race of my life I think as I stood on that start line and I stood next to Tegla LaRoupe who was world record holder at one point in time from Kenya and she wished me luck and just made me feel really, really 
right at that start line and I remember thinking just how grateful I was. You know, I wasn't worried about the outcome of the race. I was purely just grateful that I was healthy and I was able to race, you know, living my dream, so to speak. And that race unfolded. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better race. It was, it was smooth. I didn't feel any discomfort. And I looked up and I'd exactly the time that I'd visualised for for the weeks leading into that race and so that race was probably a lot of my entire career I got to experience what it can be like when everything goes well mm. and I'd had so many races when being uh the opposite more or less <laughs> you know I'd been really challenged during races uh so I qualified and and then going to Beijing I back to Boulder where I used to spend quite a bit of time. I used to go there for our winters there in, in preparation for a marathon, typically in October, somewhere in, in Europe or, or America. And um, the build-up at altitude combined with heat possibly put a little bit too much pressure on my body again. And so I went into the Olympics possibly in in the kind of shape that well I could have improved I think in terms of um not overcooking myself I think I'd potentially overtrained going into the Olympics going to the Olympics as such was an amazing experience it was very different to what I envisaged and what I had experienced going to Sydney Olympics mm -hmm. you can imagine China is is um an environment that you know we, we had guards everywhere with guns we were very heavily restricted in terms of where we could go what we could do um the village was amazing and um that was a bit of a haven for us a bit of a bubble for the athletes to relax we couldn't just walk down the street we we couldn't obviously for safety reasons have that autonomy or that freedom that we were used to back home so it's it's quite a different experience when you when you go to a games than, than racing. Wow, that's amazing. I can't imagine having all the guards around. That's yeah. It's just not what you think of when you when you're watching it at all. No, no. And there were a lot of things that I we we would chuckle as athletes. We would chuckle about. You know, the racing ceremony was apparently on a beautiful evening with a clear blue sky. I was there. It was heavily clouded. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it had been filmed a month or two beforehand. <laughs> and, uh, I remember seeing it on the footage going out to the rowing course and the guns along the side of the row look incredible on the, you know, on the, on the television. You go, wow, look at all those stunning gardens. They were all and they disappeared two weeks after the game. They were all fake. They're all, well, not fake. They were plants, but it was all potted plants. Okay. So it looked like a garden. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was very well showcased to, to be presented on television, but anything that wasn't presentable in terms of Beijing, areas of Beijing, they just put a big placard up. Right. Know. Wow. So yeah. interesting. So that everything clean and tidy and ordered and, yeah. yeah. So you, you came back from Beijing and sort of hung up your running shoes, so to speak, professionally. Yes. 
and um, decided to do your uh, naturopathy study. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're now uh, running the Athlete Sanctuary. That's correct, yes. What, what do you tend to see with athletes commonly um, that come and see you, um, like from, from a, a health needs perspective? Mm, sure. So I find um, really common issues are things like, well, symptoms, it's, it's fatigue. It's often number one yeah. when people see me. Underpinning that is often um, anemia and other nutritional deficiencies. Certainly with the move or a strong shift towards plant-based athletes, a lot of athletes go into that well-meaning, believing that it's very good for their health, but then they don't necessarily understand the implications of um, pushing themselves as well as being nutrient depleted or not necessarily knowing where to get the key nutrients that they need to fuel their performance. I find um, women especially um, can start developing hormonal imbalances um, that can impact their cycles and then impact their overall health and fertility as well. And then there's also that transition through menopause where women are used to being able to push their bodies and all of a sudden they don't quite feel like they've got that same capacity anymore. Um, Certainly autoimmunity comes into that picture um, and I do see quite a few celiacs or other people with with, um, allergies or intolerance, but I'd have to say the majority of sports-related, you know, issues um, where they come to see me. Yeah, immunity is another common one. You know, um, typically an immune system will crash right as an athlete is tapering for a major event or even afterwards, you know, that's the other common one that you you tend to see a lot of. Do you think, do do you see... um amongst more recreational athletes almost uh, because people are just doing it for fun but they're actually often pushing their bodies quite hard even though it is fun that there's not a recognition amongst a lot of recreational athletes of the need to take their uh, nutrition as well as some of those health issues seriously and like the risks for for low iron etc I think there's a some, in some areas, there's a bit of a misunderstanding that because even if they look fit, they are fit, which is not actually, or fit and healthy, which is not actually the truth. I've had athletes come to me because they've had strokes, for example, but on the outside, they look perfectly healthy. Yeah, right. So, you know, no one is immune to having health challenges just because they're exercising regularly. And I, I do see that um, couch to marathoner, so to speak creation who's very enthusiastic in those first couple of years and it can become very addictive uh, to keep going and progressive progress through the distances I do that sometimes they'll come unstuck and it may not be in that first year it'll be following subsequent years where the patterns of they've worn their system down to a point or they've they've uh, you know depleted their stores to a point where the body then sends signals saying actually I'm not recovering properly. My sleep has gone off. You know, I've got a broken sleep or insomnia. Um, I'm not coping as well at work. You know, I'm finding I'm getting a bit more stressed more easily. Some of these really subtle early signs can then progress into other things, you know, and we, if we do further investigation, sure enough, there's often something else going on behind the scenes. Mm. 
do you um, sort of see issues more with men more than females or females more than men or it's just very different in how they present? It's quite, it is very different. I think women are better at seeking help yeah. earlier. Um, men certainly do seek help, um, especially if it's impacting a partner and the partner is influential in, in terms of encouraging them to, to, seek, to seek help. Anemia is more common in women simply because of the menstrual cycle, but men are still prone to that, especially if they're in high volume um, training. And, and it's also sport dependent um, in terms of the health, you know, in terms of prenatal care, for example, I have athletes that come in that have initially perhaps come to me for anemia or some other support with their sports performance. And then they decide, well, we're ready to have a family and being able to support them through that journey is really special for me as well. And I find the men are often um, possibly a little bit lower, um, sometimes a bit resistant to, to actually taking positive steps earlier on when there's so much that could be done. You know, and there's certain sports like cycling, for example, and endurance running, where men's fertility um, can be impacted, but it can also be um, improved fairly easily as well if people seek help fairly early on. Mm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So uh, where are you at currently with your running? <laughs> I, I would say I'm plodding now. <laughs> <laughs> I still run uh, because I love it and I hope I'm still running, you know, when I'm 80. I have recently taken up uh, mountain biking, but I do that gravel grinding. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that term gravel grinding. So you, you race on dirt roads. So it's a bit of a, a halfway medium between road racing and mountain biking. And it's great for newcomers like me because you don't need the skills or the technicalities that are involved in mountain biking. And you don't have to be an absolute whippet and fast like a lot of the road, you know, good road cyclists are. It's sort of yeah. a middle ground. And I, I love it because I can road, ride a mountain bike and feel like I'm really pushing myself cardiovascular, you know, my system um, yeah. quite hard, but I can step off the bike and not feel sore. Whereas if I put that same intensity through my body with running now, I'll be very sore, you know. Okay. So running is the recovery, the recovery, and cycling is more the intensity that I love doing, and it's completely flipped, you know. Yeah, interesting. But I, I think both really complement each other. Yeah. So triathlon. Oh, I can't. <laughs> I can swim, but I look. I was once told a swim coach that I, I, um, I swim like I'm running underwater. You know? <laughs> In other words, I have absolutely no technique whatsoever. So I'd probably have to go back to swim classes. But, yeah, no, I think I'll just stick to my cycling and running for fun. Yeah. Um, well, listen, this, is, uh, this podcast is called Health Bricks because I've, I've entitled it that to focus on foundational concepts that build health and wellness. And I wonder if we can close out by maybe just getting you to pick three or four kind of health bricks for you that have been really pivotal in, in helping build wellness into your life? Mm. I think the key foundation is just the basic of life, you know, the, the um, active routine in terms of sleep, good nutrition, 
um, hydration, obviously, and just having a helpful routine that helps you to um, stick to the basics. You know, we, we get quite um, distracted by fancy gadgets, you know, data on garments and um, comparison with others. And I think one of the key things is work out a routine that really allows you to maintain consistency with your exercise, but also with your health. You know, a lot of people go gangbusters, I'm going to lose this amount of weight or I'm going to work on my health. But then after three weeks, the enthusiasm can wane. So having some structure in place where you also have accountability to somebody else to help you stay consistent in the long term is really, I think, the key to long-term success in anything. It's about getting the snowball rolling, but then maintaining that momentum over a long period of time. And sometimes we want quick wins really quickly, but honestly, the, it's the long-term pattern that's going to hold you up to a, a healthier lifestyle um, and a, and a um, more resilient and robust overall health you know as we age as well it's not what we do once it's what we do repetitively over many many years that really counts in terms of our health and well-being yeah thanks for joining me today on this podcast health bricks stay tuned for more interviews please like and share with friends who can be encouraged from hearing this information you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Karis Natural Nutrition. That's Karis, C-H-A-R-I-S, Natural Nutrition. See you soon.